Let's talk about sex. This passage from Genesis is one of the most well-known stories from the Bible. It's a rich, beautiful, sensory passage. The interpretation of this Genesis passage in Christianity has shaped the way we think about sex and sexuality. And it has shaped the way we treat and view women. Much of Christian theology is based on the notion that this passage describes the fall, where Adam and Eve are expelled from the Garden of Eden. The birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ are what restore our fallen nature through the grace of God. The original sin, the sin which taints humanity, is disobedience. When Adam and Eve eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they are disobeying God's command. God's first command in the creation story of Genesis 2 is to tell the man he can eat everything in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. As an aside, there is a lot of talk in our country about rights and God-given rights. Rights always, as we see in this passage, come with responsibilities and restrictions. Any appeal to God-given rights in our national life that doesn't include responsibilities and restrictions isn't paying attention to how God actually works. Now, back to sex. <laughs> Since this passage is from Hebrew scripture, let's look at a Jewish understanding of this Genesis passage based on interpretation from the biblical and Judaic studies scholar Mark Zvi Brettler's brilliant book, How to Read the Bible. Adam and Eve, who aren't really named in Genesis until after this passage, are created as immortal, asexual beings. God tells Adam, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall die, meaning you will become mortal. If you eat this fruit, you will no longer be immortal, you will become mortal. The word knowledge here does mean sex. This is where we get the notion of knowing someone in the biblical sense. <laughs> in Hebrew scripture, good and evil does not have a moral or ethical connotation. Christians have added that interpretation. The phrase means that it is all-encompassing or the ultimate. It is the ultimate, the tree of ultimate knowledge. 
The fruit of the tree is the revelation that we are sexual beings and that through sex, more life can be created. This Genesis passage does not imply anything about sexual morality or sexuality or that procreation is the only purpose of sex. The garden story is about immortality lost and sexuality gained. The tree gives sexual awareness. The man and woman are now mortal, but can have children. Because the disobedience in eating the fruit leads to Adam and Eve discovering they are naked, that is, that they are sexual beings, the church's notion of original sin has often been tied to sex. This misinterpretation of this being the woman's fault has had terrible consequences in the history of the church and society. The original sin of the church is sexism. The fascinating Jewish interpretation is that the man and the woman are not expelled from the garden as punishment, but to keep them from eating from the tree of life that is also in the garden that would restore their immortality, but then they'd still be able to have children. So bear with me. The analogy that comes to my mind is that they would basically become like the immortal elves in Lord of the Rings, (laughs) but without anyone around to kill some of them. God expelled them from the garden to manage overpopulation. From the beginning, God was concerned with the overconsumption of limited resources. Now, there are two distinct creation myths in Genesis, and the passage today comes from the second. It has a beautiful portrayal of God visiting the man and the woman in the cool evening breeze. It signifies a relational God who wants to interact with creation. But at the same time, the life of the man and woman in the garden appears to be one of blissful ignorance. Prior to eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it actually sounds kind of boring. What is God up to here? Why is the tree there anyway, or the serpent? There is something important here about free will and how, created in God's image, we are able to make choices. God is not interested in mindless adoration, but in intentional love. Can we love God as our God and ourselves as God's people? The original sin of disobedience is believing what the serpent tells the woman, which is that if she eats of the fruit, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. 
God. The desire to be like God. Self-deification. That is the true original sin. This passage is a cautionary tale about what happens when we try to be God. The result of disobeying God is that we turn against each other. Historically, women have gotten a bad rap in this passage, but it is the man who behaves the worst. By the way, I think there's an important lesson for parenting and life in general in this passage. Notice that God always asks the man and the woman questions first, and then later gives judgment after hearing the answers. When asked if he has eaten the forbidden fruit, the man, typically, blames the woman. But not only that, he blames God. He doesn't say, the woman gave it to me and I ate it. He says, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate it. Adam is saying to God, this is your fault (laughs) and the fault of the woman. If you hadn't created her, this wouldn't have happened. Now, since the church isn't comfortable with blaming God, it has focused on blaming women instead. St. Augustine has an amazing commentary on this passage. First, he says that Adam was wrong to hide himself because a naked man was created by God. And so a naked man would not be displeasing to God because that is how God made Adam. In words that American Christians really need to hear today, St. Augustine says, It is a distinguishing mark of error that whatever anyone finds personally displeasing, he imagines is displeasing to God as well. Let me repeat that. It is a distinguishing mark of error that whatever anyone finds personally displeasing, he imagines is displeasing to God as well. Second, addressing Adam's blaming God, St. Augustine says, nothing is as characteristic of sinners as to want to attribute to God everything for which they are accused. Now, Augustine knows of what he speaks. As a young man, he famously prayed, Lord, make me sexually pure, but not yet. (laughs) After being blamed by the man, the woman passes the blame on to the serpent. The serpent tricked me. Now God skips the questions with the serpent and goes straight to judgment. It's worth noting that the serpent was a symbol for a God of power and fertility. 
an adversary god and religion, as it were. And is, as is so often the case in creation stories, they are partly about defeating and supplanting someone else's god. The fundamental issue here is repentance. Neither the man nor the woman say, I did it. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Instead, they make excuses. We are really good at making excuses. I read an amazing story this week uh, related to this passage in which a, a high school teacher was having difficulty getting his students to write. But he realized that he was getting these excuse letters that students had written trying to pretend it was their parents that he thought were actually quite amazing literature and incredibly creative. Like, I mean, literally, like, the man in the apartment above us died and his bathtub overflowed and dripped down into our apartment and ruined my, her homework. Please excuse her. <laughs> he was so struck by how creative and how much energy they put into these excuses, he decided one day in class to ask them to write an excuse letter from Adam or Eve to God and could not believe how focused his students were on writing these incredible excuses to God. What excuses do you make to God? The stain of original sin is not sex, but the enmity that grows among us when we try to be God and when we blame others for what we have done. And it cycles out of control really fast. It does not take long in the biblical narrative to go from Adam blaming Eve to their son Cain murdering their son Abel. Jesus, the new Adam, shows us the way of repentance and the hope of forgiveness. Jesus, the risen Christ, defines our lives and relationships with each other by showing us the way of love. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. It is Jesus Christ who shows us how to get ourselves back to the garden.